0: Hi, my is Elijah, and welcome to my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters. My guest this week is Ian McNabb. Ian is a Mercury Prize-nominated singer-songwriter and was front of 80s band The Icicle Works. He's got one of the most interesting and diverse, brilliant solo careers and is a cult figure, and he has a lot to say about songwriting. He's got a new album, New Brighton Rock, about to come out. And we talk about his uh, process of songwriting, his love of songwriting, his non-judgmental view of music. Uh, He's really a fascinating, fascinating man. So um, please check it out. Thanks for listening and subscribe. Okay, today joining me on my Songwriting for Songwriters podcast is Ian McNabb. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good, mate. Yes, I'm good. It's nice and sunny, isn't it? So soaking up the uh, the sunbeams. Beautiful. You just went off a second ago to turn the radio off, and I was just going to ask you a question based off that: Is it has music, or is it always on in your house? Did you grow up with music always around you?
1: Um, I didn't really come from a musical family or anything, but me, me, uh, you know, um, I always remember Sundays we had the stereogram gram on, okay. most of the most of the, the in the daylight. Well, my mother did the cleaning. And it was kind of, uh, we'd have stuff like Sonata at the Sands was a big one. Yeah. Um The, the, the soundtrack albums, we had Oklahoma, Sound of Music. Great. Um, and a couple of those albums, because Stereo would just come out, so you'd have these albums that were like stereophonic breakthrough, you know, <laughs> incredible sounds, you know. And uh, and she bought me when I was when they came out. Uh, she, I remember having a seven-inch of "She Loves You," crazy. and we had uh, "Help," and that was it really. And I, you know, I I used to walk around singing "She Loves You," but we weren't musical by any stretch, and and I didn't really get into music. And I, I was very much into. Uh, the apollo space program and oh, i was into wow. Liverpool football club yeah and um things like that going around on my chopper bike you know wasn't really too fussed about pop music because whenever i kind of came across it it'd always be like last night i heard my mama singing a song <laughs> and I just thought, oh, that's just juvenile, you know, even though I was only, like, nine. <laughs> and then when uh, eventually I, I saw um, Top of the Pops and I saw Mark Boland and T-Rex, I can't remember whether it was um, Metal Guru or Get It On or Telegram Sound, one of those, you know, and I really thought, wow, this is different. And I and I just thought he looked amazing. And I thought, well, I like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was it. And then I started going to, you know, Edwards' secondhand record store on Kensington High Street and buying up all the seven inch singles for, you know, 15p each and and all of that. And and uh, and that was it. Uh on unlike most people who are happy to just do that then of course i had to go to the source so i got a guitar and then i learned to play this was when i was about 12. yeah so from that from about 12 13 onwards that's when the music never stopped and i do have music on in the background uh if it's not in the foreground i usually have it it on six music here in the uk because they play you know some Quite a lot of new stuff, and I'm always quite keen to get into new stuff. Oh, that's cool, as well as you know some some of the oldies that that you don't mind hearing over and over again. So yeah, it's a, yeah, it's music's you know the number one thing it always has been.
0: Do you, Do you think going back when you think about the kind of fairly sort of limited amount of records you said you, your parents had, do you th- do you think those in any way impacted you as a songwriter those early records your first exposure to music do you think they um impacted you as a songwriter looking back
1: well i'd like to think so you know um there's actually a track the first track on the new album which i've I've just finished
2: yeah
1: old um the album's called new bright rock Yeah. and a track on there called hamilton square opening track on the album and it's very very much the phrasing is Sinatra, and uh, the arrangement, and a bit of Scott Walker in there, me in sort of ballad mode.
2: Yeah,
1: lovely. Um, I played it to a couple of people, obviously, and they said, "Oh, your mum would be made up." You know, it's very much in that kind of croony sort of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I you know, I've always, I'm not a, not ashamed to show me influences and talk about them. Hopefully, you know my sound is me kind of interpreting what I believe to be great music, channeling it through me, and hopefully, it's not a complete uh, tribute. It's it's got quite a lot of me on it as well, you know.
0: I think so. Like because I was introduced to your songs, but I think we got well, we did have a mutual friend, the lovely Janice Long. Oh yeah, yeah. she's a a beautiful soul, and she's very supportive of of our band, and I know she was very supportive of you. So, I first came across you in an interview with her and, and your songs via her Radio 2 show and her Radio Wales show. Yeah. And, um, you know, got to know your stuff over time via Icicle Works. And a lot of what you've been saying over the last two or three years has aligned with what I think. And so I've been deep diving some of what you've been doing. But what I really love is the way you've just described, like the album Head Like a Rock, for example, which is absolutely brilliant. And you Thank can you it's kind of crazy horse Neil Young thing, but in no way at all is it a tribute. It's completely you in. Well, I guess it's. I'm. I'm, I'm thinking if you exploring the crazy horse kind of area, but you are in. A, you're in that vein, but it's not at all like a kind of. It's totally well, I'm, I'm very
1: pleased to have said that because there was always the concern that it would be uh, too. I'd be too much of a fanboy to make it anything but a tribute. But the um, the difference is, is pretty clear. I mean, uh, you know, the guitars and the bass and drums have definitely got that Neil Young and Crazy Horse thing. Well, it's just let's call it Crazy Horse, because yeah. after all, they, I mean, Neil Young doesn't sound like that with any other band, you know. Yeah, And he's tried. Yeah. Uh, hello, uh, Promise of the Real. Yeah, and uh, so, but I, you know, I sing completely differently than Neil Young. Um, I write in sometimes like his, but it's 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 very much me. It's that kind of baritone, sometimes tenor vocal, quite sort of showbiz vocal that I do. No. All of that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I start, you know, as my mum always used to say, you started off in cabaret and you can end up there as well, you know. <laughs> that's um, which is always nice to know. And, uh, you know, with a lot of the guitar solos, very much doffing the cap to Uncle Neil. But we only actually cut four tracks, but they're all so long that that's about 25 minutes mm. of the, it's half the album. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think it's more me than, than Neil Young and... Uh, it just sounds
0: who's yeah. like, like he loves those records and has decided to get into that zone as a writer and a performer and and it's and I, I mean across your work of albums, I really like that you you kind of it's everything's you, very clearly you. But you jump into like different sort of spaceships for a while or, and travel along a certain sonic, you know, universe and then come back and maybe do something else. But it's never like okay, he's gone to like. A, a completely different genre. It's all you doing you. It just sounds Thank like God. your, your terrible universe of music is massive. You know, you explore all of it, which is great. Well,
1: very kind words. I, th- I think it's probably contributed to my cult status because <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to market. Well, I'm difficult. I'm, a, you know, a couple of people have told me I, I'm unmar- unmarketable. Okay. In terms of the fact that if you kind of find something you're really good at and stick to it, you know, kind of in in the way that like Richard Hawley has, yeah, you know, Richard's got such a beautiful voice, and I I love it when he does his 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 big ballads, and and I like his 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 kind of country tinged yeah. things, pop, country pop. Not so keen on what I can tell. He really wants to do. Which is basically being Echo and the Bunny Men, you know. (laughs) And it's it's more sort of stuff, new wave stuff like that. I don't particularly care for a great deal. I think there's other people doing enough of that. Mm. And uh, sometimes it's good to kind of focus on what you're really good at. But I, you know, I kind of get bored, you know. It's like when we did the first Icicle Works album, it was that that was the most consistent. Yeah better songs, and they all sounded like they were by the same artist. Every song had a a kind of similar lyrical theme. There were no guitar solos. Um, There was a lot of tribal drums and kind of, you know, lyrics that were very metaphoric and very sixth form poetry, in my opinion, now. Although I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I like sixth form poetry. It reminds me of when we were young. Yeah and you know you don't have to be wise and and uh, mature to to come up with good lyrics so um that was very consistent and subsequently was the most successful thing that we ever did in america for instance it was it was a success birds fly was a a, a bit of a hit. well it, it was a, it was a top 40 billboard hit yeah um and then when we did the second album I was like, I was into something else then, you know. Okay. And that, and the the American record company Aristo, heard the second I School Works album, which was called the "Small Price of a Bicycle," and they said, uh, "This sounds like punk rock demos," <laughs> and they refused to put it out because it was. Okay. I mean, I did. I saw it as a natural continuation. of I presume they wanted another album of of you know doe-eyed pop. Yeah. With. Uh, all that kind of stuff, but I'd already done that, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Bird, yeah. birds, Fly flies. You know, without a question, my my most successful song. Yeah, it's the one that brings in the most money. Is how you you judge the success on something from a point of view. Yeah, in that angle. I mean, I I don't judge success on money at all. But how do you judge you know, how do you judge a song? How do
0: how, how do you define successful song if it's not financial? Which I understand there is that element of people resonating but how do you personally as a songwriter judge success of your own work
1: if i'm happy with it yeah good answer yeah and and that's it really and if i'm really happy with it and if i love it then that's really successful yeah and then if somebody if everybody else likes it as well hey you gotta hit (laughs) you you love all your
0: stuff like if you if you choose like you've got got a new album coming coming out presumably the songs uh you know as a songwriter as well i guess like I will only put forward songs I love to my band, and then if they love them, we'll do them. Do you do you do you love all the stuff you write, or do you sometimes you just have to? Is it about some songs balance with the other songs you really love? You need something to balance with it. That's we'll a listen? good.
1: That's a good point. Uh, for instance, on this new album, yeah, you will notice me talking about the new album. Oh, we're going to get into that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had a bunch of songs, and I was kind of I had a bunch of songs already written, and but I always liked the idea of um, writing as I'm going along, like you'd like maybe you would with a screenplay yeah. or a novel. Yeah. You go, well, that's good. You know, we need something a bit to offset that. And I had all of these songs, and it was starting to go a little bit kind of, you know, serious and I loved the songs that are serious. And then I thought, well, i need a couple more serious ones. So I wrote a couple more serious ones and then I listened to it all the way through. And it was like, well, it's all kind of a bit, you know, it's a bit it's a bit too serious, you know? So I wrote a couple of songs that were a bit more lighthearted. I wrote a song called um, Interstellar Vehicles Landed in Port Sunlight, which is on the Wirral. And, and another one called Officer of the Watch, which uh, I won't say the throwaway because they're not, but they're kind of, they're not talking about serious things that have happened to me. Okay. It's a bit of fun. Yeah. You know, it's it's a yellow submarine on the B side, on the other A side of Eleanor Rigby. Yeah, which has its yeah. place, right? So, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, as I've listened to it, you know, a hundred times, I'm going, there's going to be some people who say, oh, I love this album, but, you know, those those tracks are a bit stupid, you know. Wish you would have, you know, left this off or whatever, or this on. But it, it as a piece, it flows, you know, 40, the ultimate thing, 40 minutes, 20 minutes aside, perfect art form, you balance it out. If you have too many slow ones or too many things about the same thing, people start getting a bit fidgety. you yeah. got to keep them in. Jump cuts. It's like with a movie if you have a heavy scene and you're like, wow, cool. You don't follow it up with another heavy scene or a lot of waffle. Yeah. You throw a gag in, you know. Yeah. And that that's kind of how I, I put try and put my albums together. And in answer to your other question, do you know, do I love every song that I put out? Well, I I wouldn't put them out. If I didn't at least like them, I mean, I love some, yeah, and I like a lot, and some I'm like, what the hell was I thinking there, you know? <laughs> but I, I do think of the moment you you have to kind of go with your instinct,
2: yeah. You know, you
1: don't know. You really don't know. You're so close to it, you know. You don't really know. The only way that you find out is years later. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I realize now that some of the songs that i put out weren't the great ones. The ones I thought were kind of okay have become, you know, songs like Understanding Jane and Evangeline to me were just knocked off in as long as it takes to listen to them. And I just yeah. thought they were, you know, you know what was it? Joe Walsh said, uh, Hey, if I would have known that I was going to have to sing Rocky Mountain Way for the rest of my life. I wouldn't have wrote it. <laughs> you know. But that, that that's what happened happens at the time. Um so yeah you try and keep your quality control of. The, the the best way to 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 come out on top and make pretty good albums I think is if to always make sure that you have more songs than you need for an album. Yeah. And you you, come and you said
0: you You said something the other day actually on your Facebook about um minimizing the live performance down towards you playing acoustically, because you can kind of change gears quickly, change from song to song, yeah. drop a song, move forward. How important is it for you? Um, and obviously you've i mean you got such a kind of massive body of work and you've got a new album coming out, New Brighton Rock. And so your fans are going to want to hear that, obviously hear the record, but they're going to want to hear you, a lot of your past stuff as well when you play live. How important is it for you to play new material live and can you tell, does does the song have a kind of, do you see it in a different way? Does it have a different life when you play it live?
1: I, I saw um, that thing Noel Gallagher just did with it, talking about his songs and his gear for about an hour and a half. Yeah, And I watched it and I really enjoyed it. And I thought he said a pretty good thing. He goes, you know, I'm going off on tour for two and a half years, I've done this album. And so we'll rehearse and there'll be five tunes that will immediately go into the set. And then in two weeks, two of them will get kicked out. Right. Because we won't get the reaction that I think they're going to get because you don't know. Yeah. Until, until they're out there, you know, and then it's not your property. Mm. Um, It's, it's fascinating to me. Sometimes you can never really tell. I'll, I'll be doing a, a gig and I'll, we'll do either solo or with the band and we'll do a song and I'll just think, this is fucking fantastic, you know. I'm really cooking here. And the song will finish and you'll get a golf clap, you know. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And you'll be like... And then I'll go... Evangeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know... I'm having trouble, or we all... Are and then I do something that I think is incredibly profound and beautiful, usually on the piano. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there there is a different feeling on the piano. There's a a point in the show whereby as soon as I put my guitar down and walk off to the piano, I see quite a bit of this going on. (laughs) (laughs) Just like uh, (laughs) the video here uh, is... Don't that's know, why, why there's always. That's oh. why there's always two piano numbers in the show, you know. Okay. okay. But um, yeah, you 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 don't really know. And my my thing is, I'm always trying to get better and trying to trying not to repeat yourself. Yeah. And that's difficult. Yeah. When you've been going 40 years, I mean, I think it's difficult after one album. Yeah, yeah. Not to repeat yourself. I mean, the the first icicle works album, absolutely. It was the, the whittling down of all the songs that we've been playing since we started. We, we binned loads of them, even up to the last minute. And then the American record company still managed to take a track off and put something else on and mix the running order up, you know, because that's what they, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to do it a lot. And um, we played them hundreds of times and we knew when it was right and blah, 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 all of those things. Ten songs, 40 minutes plus a bit. And that's it. That that was everything that we were. And then, and you've heard this a thousand times, but you come to the second album when you, first of all, you've been touring the first album to death. So you're not at home. You're not really in writing mode. You're on tour, which is probably not the best um place to write songs um, although I've still I've done it um and then yeah and it, and the record got me needed by Christmas you know so you there's less um uh, that well, there's less time yeah and you know all of those and the, so I think even doing I remember uh when we were doing the first album and Chris Shorock our drummer said Oh god, I hope we don't have to do this again for a long time. And it's like, well, we're gonna to have to do one as soon as we stop touring this one, you know? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. You know,
1: it's I find it very easy to write songs as long as I'm not trying to write songs, you know, I I'll, I'll never go, get up and go, right? That's right. right we need to, we need, uh, I feel the
0: same way about it. Sorry, I feel the same way. Yeah. You just said something which I think is really interesting, and I, and I feel I think I feel the same way which is if I sit down to write a song it'll be alright but if I catch something or something inspires me to do it it's a different whole different universe so when songs arrive for you how do they how do they normally arrive and and how do
1: they turn up well it's a, you know it's it's the zone isn't it it's the tear in the time space continuum i always say the muse is female and, and she's fickle, and she chooses, like, like she's a woman. The muse is a woman, and the woman chooses the time, the place, and the yay or the nay. Brilliant. And that is a fact of life. Get used to it. Deal with it. That's what all art is about. And I'll be kind of going, yeah, did you... Oh, wow, but hang on. I was in the middle. of. I've got to do that. I've got to pay this bill. No, no, no. She wants me. And off I go. And it will usually be keyed by, very often keyed by hearing somebody else on the radio. You go, damn, I, that's great. I want I want a song like that. And then you, you, you kind of, the energy of it comes into it, but you're not ripping it off. I mean, I've rewritten uh, You Only Get What You Give by the New Radicals about 20 times, you know. Just that <laughs> effervescence. You are one more... Damn, I wish I would have written that. And there's been a few attempts at writing something in a similar vibe. Yeah. So that's, that's, oh, uh, the other thing that I always do, which is very useful and is a tip to budding songwriters, is that if you get a good turn of phrase or a title, make a note of it.
2: Yeah.
1: Because it, and then when you get, you're strumming around or you're on the piano or whatever, however you write. And then you, you go, you open up your little list. Oh, that's a good title. And then you try to marry what you're doing now to the title. Because there's nothing more boring than having a, a song title that says, you know, I saw her or, you know, it, do you know what I mean? It's like a, a, a really good title will maybe... Uh, Push a floating voter into having to listen to it, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. Like An album yeah. lands on their desk, and first of all, you've got the album title. yeah That's got to be good as well. And then if they look at the titles and it goes, I saw her, or, you know, I this, that, or, you know, blah, blah, just kind of generic utility titles. They go, okay, was, you know, if you have like, you know, something like, interstellar vehicle has landed in port sunlight <laughs> or, <laughs> something <laughs> like or something like that or somebody will go what the i've got to hear that you know and yeah. that, that's part of it but but no I, I mean i have i've had some horrendous experiences when i've been asked to sit down and write with other people okay you know, 1 30 on a wednesday afternoon in a, in somebody's office you know or a house or a studio and it's like right we got to write a song. I mean, you know, and you just like, I can't do that. I, I really can't. And if I'm writing with other people, which I do occasionally, yeah. I can't be in the room with them ah, okay. because they just get in the way. If they send, I've written a few things with other people. I wrote with Peter Buck. Yeah. He just sends me, because he doesn't sing or do top line. He just comes up with guitar rips and, chords and all that. And I then I go, oh, okay. So I'll sing my thing over that. Or yeah. sometimes somebody i just started doing another writing thing with, with Ralph, the drummer out of Crazy Horse. Brilliant. And he just he likes to write lyrics. Okay. So I'll go, okay. And then I'll kind of try and marry them with some nice chords I've got lying around. But there's no way I could sit there or even do a zoom thing. Right because you're just going, alone. so what if, you know, I just can't, it's like people saying you go into the toilet, you know, it's too personal. Yeah, it's very intimate, isn't it? I don't like to go, There it is. I don't like to go, uh, 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 you know.
0: Yeah, I think it's got to be a, a pretty special, unique relationship to, to eyeball someone and, and work through a song. It's got to be, yeah. uh, you've got to be pretty relaxed with them and intimate. So, New Brighton Rock, which is a great title for an album, um, and you've mentioned it a bit earlier on that there's some there were some serious sort of uh, songs on that. So I'm really interested to know, particularly because I've been, I've been following you on Twitter the last few years, and I've just been very interested to know what you're singing about, what these songs are about, what's been going on, what's serious. Give give us an overview, us
1: and the fans, an overview of what. Well, I mean, I was I've always been determined from the start. To not write anything about lockdowns or the pandemic, cool. because I, like everybody else, would rather forget that that ever happened. You know, yes. yeah, good. Don't want to be reminded of it. Um, so, what do you? What do I write about? Well, you know, obviously, one of the most significant things that's happened to me in the past couple of years is my mother died. Yeah. Um, which I've alluded to on a couple of songs, but I don't want to get into one of those. This is the, the album where he sings about his dead mother, you know? Sure, sure. Because I don't want that. And I'm sure that the fans, God bless them, would, would give me the respect of listening to it. Yeah. But, and maybe some of them will, will take something from it because everybody has to deal with bereavement at some point. Yeah. But it ain't really... It's not the stick on when you're having a beer, you know? Yeah. Uh, So there's a couple of songs on the... Well, there's one song on the new album that alludes to that, and there was one or two on the last one, and that's it. There's a song called Hamilton Square, the opening track of the album, which is about a place just across the River Mersey on the Wirral in Birkenhead, uh, which is a very beautiful thing to look at it's it looks as great as it sounds if you google hamilton square you can see it but it's (laughs) it's where a lot of you know drug addicts hang out and okay like that so it's got that darkness to it yeah um and there's there's a song called cheerfulness which is about cheerfulness (laughs) and there's whistling on it because i always love that thing that um leonard cohen said cheerfulness keeps breaking through yeah. you know whatever kind of situation you're in however sad or bad with whatever's yeah. going on there's always a chink of light you know yeah there's a, there's a song called outrider which is about I mean an outrider is a, a motorcycle cavalcade that goes along with a, a car and protects it so that's me talking about how that you know metaphorically how that's important There's a song, the song which is kind of, which is about my mom, which is called Gone, which I've just explained. There's an instrumental called Salmon Butties, because that's what I always used to make for my mom in the afternoon, and it's just a little interlude, it's beautiful. There's a song called The Bliss, which um, was a phrase that I heard George Harrison's talking about once, he goes, you know, we're all trying to find the bliss, you know, be it through you know doing it without alcohol or drugs or anything doing it through meditation or you know becoming at one with yourself that yeah. you know that perfect that the best thing ever is to be straight and be happy and like a beautiful day like today that's that's the greatest feeling I'm feeling good yeah you know health is wealth yeah so that's that's a, that's the bliss there's a song called don't shoot the wounded and what's that about? That's about people who keep falling into toxic relationships over and over again, sometimes with the same people. Yeah. Is it about me? Maybe. Is it about you? Maybe. There's um a cover on the album of Foreigners uh, I Wanna Know What Love Is. Amazing. Which which I absolutely love. And think, oh God, no. You haven't done that, have you? We've done our own spin on that. It really fits the mood of the album. It's a great song. It is a great song. It's a classic. And there's a song called Officer of the Watch, which is kind of about some shady characters on a Mediterranean cruise. Once again, it's like it's, uh, you know, me trying to do something a bit different, not talking about myself all the time. Yeah. There's there's the song about the spaceship landing on the Wirral, which I've told you about. And there's, there's the last song on there. There's 11 tracks on the album. The last song is called A New Adventure. And my uh, friend and producer and co writer, Kieran Bell, said to me, Come on, man, we need a. He's good at doing this. So, you, you know, when we've kind of got everything in place, you go, We need a banger for side two, or, you know, you cheer up, or, you know, we need something heavy, or, you know.
2: yeah. And he goes,
1: well, Write me a song like something like Into the Great Wide Open by Tom Petty. Write something like that. Just, floor makes you want to get up, go out, you know. So I wrote this song called A New Adventure, which took me about a minute. And it's it's all about putting all the, you know, the, the darkness behind you and getting on with it. And it's never too late. And it's very positive, you know. So so that that's what I'm writing about at the moment.
0: Fantastic, man. That sounds amazing. Thank you for giving us a little brief... Synopsis of each track is really nice no to hear. Talk about that. It's really good. And how do you feel about the album now? But you know you've done it, and it's and it's, a, it's released very soon, isn't it? I've seen pre-orders going out.
1: And it's, it's being mastered at the moment, which I'm excited about. So hopefully I'll, I'll get that next week, and I can sit and listen to it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are you on to the next uh, one If you, you, you if you're a practitioner yourself, you know you know that. Yeah. The amount of times that you, I mean, from the, the writing of it to the recording of it, and then the arrangement, and then the mixing, and then the mastering. Yeah. And the, the you know, it's like, I, you know, I, I've never kept track. I, I, I've often thought about having a clicker <laughs> just as an experiment, just to see how many times I listen to one of my songs.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But what's, uh, weird, what's weird about it, though, that we, we released an album called The World" Light just in the year of the pandemic, which is, the timing was whatever it was. But anyway, um, even the price, every time it's different, isn't it? You hear it hundreds of times. But I remember like the final, final, final master of this album. We all sat down and had a listen to it. And it sounded completely different from
1: every... Oh, other God. One. And what gets me is you can stick it on and flatter it with dark lights and loads of volume. And you go... And you don't get a, a hit off it. Uh, and you're like, oh, it's not that good. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. not that good. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you go into a depression and then you listen to it the next day and it's fantastic. But that's, <laughs> that's just your internal arrangement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing is that when you listen to something in so, so much detail, I know that I listen to my music many, many, many more times than anybody else is going to. And you, it's like you start picking up on things that that nobody else is ever going to hear. Um, and sometimes I frequently let a mistake or something that's a bit off or wrong go through, okay, just to see if anybody notices. (laughs) And by and large, they never do, you know. And that even goes down to there was, um, on the album I did a couple of years ago, an album called Utopian. Yeah. I, I'd written all the lyrics out and there was a song on there called um, Going to a Place. And I wrote three verses. And then when I recorded the vocal, because uh, I redid the vocal, I wasn't I wasn't happy with it. And I, I was looking at the wrong version of it and I just sang two verses. Yeah. I thought that was fine, and it went out. But on the lyric, on the on the you know, the CD jacket and the vinyl, was the third verse. Brilliant. Brilliant. And I thought, somebody will notice that. And nobody's ever mentioned
0: Everyone's it. one's you know? noticed it. Well, you think somebody might have noticed that one. That's, um... Well, they will now, won't they? Yeah, they will now. Listen, I've got some fan questions for you, actually. Because when I started this podcast, I started recording, I don't know, I got to like episode six or seven i put out to some people who would you like me to get in touch with and you're it's just like there's something like 20 comments is like, ear mcnab ear mcnab ear mcnab oh, great they all want to you know everybody thank you really Thanks. Big Thanks. From me. it's amazing so let me just ask yeah. a few quick fan questions peter james first of all says can you lend him a tenner <laughs>
1: uh yeah if if he wants it you know
0: (laughs) yeah okay that's nice um okay austin says will you rework any more of your previous work either individual tracks or albums will i what will you rework any of it
1: well i i did that with um a couple of years ago with an album called ascending which uh, before the icicle works made the first album we were a slightly different band we had a We were kind of electro, we were sort of very influenced by early Human League and Soft Cell and John Fox and Bebop Deluxe. And, you know, we were into that kind of thing. And then that kind of went and then we became what was basically demonstrated with the first album. But there was about um, six or seven tunes. And it was only ever on a cassette recorded very, very poorly. And it was coming up to the 40th anniversary of that. And I thought, oh, let me have a listen to that and see what it's like. Because those songs never got recorded properly. Okay. So I re-recorded them with a modern sheen. And I was very pleased I could still sing them in the same key. Legend. And that, that was a lot of fun to do. I think maybe the, whoever asked that question is alluding to that. Yeah, OK. Um, I, I don't know, you know, because I've tried re-recording songs before and sometimes times it's worked I did an album called Krugerans in 2015 which was like rock and roll stripped down versions of songs that I'd done either overproduced or underproduced in the past and that came out really well but uh sometimes what is great about the track that people like is in the version that's already out there you know yeah 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 and uh even though you go, oh god, I hate that snare drum sound. It's so fucking eighties. Or, oh god, it's too compressed. Or it's the guitars are wrong. Or I'm over singing. Or I'm under singing. Or it was done too quickly. Or we took too long on it. You know all the th- criticisms you can level at a track, and then I've tried to re-record it, and it's and then I go, do you know what? It's fine as it is. That's what it. That's the document of what it was. Yeah. Just leave it. So, I don't know. I mean, my next project is doing an album of Fleetwood Mac songs. Oh, wow. That's a great album. Um Because of, I just think, one of the most unusual bands yeah, definitely. in terms of the, the, the amount of members that have been through them. But unlike, say, a band like The Four, where they were all side men, or the Laws, or the Waterboys. Bands that have had, you know, one central figure and a, a, a cast of other people coming yeah. in and leaving. Fleetwood Mac have, have had people in and put them up front. Yeah, I know. You know which I think is pr- pretty unusual. I can't think of another band where that's happened. Like when Peter, Peter Green left, they, they got, these with Bob Welsh in and other people and there's a lot they made about six records were it was like a, a different band yeah a different guitar player or singer you know christine mcvee was always there mick fleetwood and john v was always there but the rest of them was just a floating thing and there's some really great songs that they did in that period but at the same time i'm not afraid of of you know retooling a, a number one classic you know and I'm not afraid of doing a couple of Peter Green songs and so that's what I'm working on now so that's kind of retooling that's a great um beyond that, I'm not sure what's going to go down do you
0: write all the time your own songs all the time or do you have to I mean you said about the, the muse the mist the mistress the muse turns up and does what she does but is that a daily thing for you or is it
1: just as and when it happens no I do Absolutely as little as possible every day. <laughs> and uh, I don't have a guitar in me where I can see it. I've got my piano there, which I can't really hide. Um, but no, I, I just try and keep away from all that and do other things. And I don't pick the guitar up and strum while I'm watching the telly. No, I'll do that when I i always say i do it when i have to which is actually true because i need some songs so i'll, I'll which is not to contradict what i said before about the muse chooses you
2: mm.
1: um i will be aware that i need to have a piece of paper and a pen and my me, me guitar because i can tell i'm i'm in the zone you know but no i don't get up every day and do that i'll uh like, especially now when this album's just finished, I'd, I'd like, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing the Fleetwood Mac thing because I've got a lot of time on my hands now because I was a full time carer for my mother. Right. And okay. I don't have to do that anymore. So, I mean, that, that was from like 7 a.m. till 12 midnight every day. It was a, a real job, you know, and I couldn't leave the house for more than a, half an hour tops. So now I've got all this leisure time. And it's fantastic, but I do still need something to do. You know, what did they say? If you can't make a man happy, at least keep him busy. You know? <laughs> so that's why I'm going straight into the Fleetwood Mac thing. But that also means I don't have to think about writing new songs. Yeah, you yeah, me a bit, bit of space to just... Until, um, until she decides.
0: Yeah. Um, a question that came in, actually, and something I've been thinking about. Um, because Liverpool is, a, is such a huge city of music, obviously, we all know the Beatles. But, like, how would you say Liverpool has impacted you as a songwriter? if it has?
1: Oh, well, I don't know, really, because I've, I don't come from anywhere else, you know. If I came from Loughborough, maybe it'd be different, but there's certainly you know, there's always, been, Liverpool's a music town, but possibly even the music town, you know? Yeah. And from the age of, like I said, when I was 12, I, was, I started learning to play, and by the age of 15, I was in a, in a cabaret band, you know, playing working men's clubs every weekend. From 15, I mean, I can't believe that, yeah. but it, it is true. And... uh everybody was it was all about music and that's all we ever spoke about and and then when the punk and new wave thing came along it it was it went into a whole new area because liverpool in particular just used so many bands especially around like the end of the 70s and the beginning of the 80s i mean every motherfucker was in a band i didn't know anybody that wasn't in a band or if they weren't in a band they, they were working with a band. If they were an artist, they were doing sleeves for them. If they had a fucking transit van, they were driving them. And if they weren't doing anything else, they became roadies. And, you know, and this was ev- like everybody you knew. And there were so many venues. The beer was cheap. Um, it cost 75 pence to get into a gig. You know, the Royal Court Theatre in Liverpool, you know, I used to go to to anything that was on there because it was like two pound 50 a ticket you know because that that was when uh artists went on tour to sell records they didn't put records out so they could go on tour you know and the idea was that you'd go and see them they wouldn't make much money at the gig but you'd go and buy their record and then they'd get in the charts and then they'd get a bit bigger and yeah all that kind of thing so Liverpool, an amazing place. You know, I know that we we had a rough time in the 80s politically, as as did we all, thanks to the Tories and Thatcher and what have you. But also, I'm a firm believer in the fact that the worse things get, the better the music is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, there's been a, an awful lot of great music made in sunny climes. I love the Eagle. I fucking love the Eagles, man, you know. But um, anarchy in the UK was was made in you know grim, grey Britain. Yeah. You know, and and I think I don't know, it's 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 a bit cliche to say, but I think it's got a bit more realism. Music coming from, you know, you get songwriters from New York have got a lot more to say than somebody who lives in Laurel Canyon. Yeah, sure, sure. Because you know they're going to pick the guitar up and go and sit in the garden, smoke a doob. Whereas, you know, somebody walking a few blocks in New York is probably going to get mugged, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I I know what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> no, I, know, I I understand. Thank you for the answer. What songwriters do you uh, rate now, nowadays? Who do you, who do you hold up as a, uh, whether they, they have to be new, new songwriters, they could be classic songwriters, but who do you hold up as being great examples of songwriting that you love?
1: Well, I don't know if they're new or not. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Paul Westerberg.
0: Okay,
1: from the replacements and he hasn't done anything for a while I oh, gosh I suppose I've got to quantify this by saying who, d- who do I listen to but like I say I will listen to the stuff on the radio and if I hear something I really like I'll first of all go on YouTube and check them out and if and then I'll check the album out on Spotify and if I dig it I'll, I'll buy a vinyl copy or a CD nice uh, more probably more likely a vinyl because um, as much as I love CDs, I've only got one CD player, which yeah. is in the car. Um, new artists that you know, I know that there's a lot of them out there, and I probably haven't heard enough of them. But I, I, you know, I tend to fall back a bit onto the onto the artists that I've liked for for the past ten years. You know, whenever they say this is a great new singer songwriter and it's somebody young, and I'll have a listen to it. And I usually like it because it reminds me a lot of stuff that I've liked previously. So I'll listen to a bit of that, and then fuck it, I'll just stick Tom Petty on, you know. <laughs> so so I, can't really, you know, I can't really give you any names. Well, who's, who, what well, what been a, I've been listening man. to this week is I've been listening to a band called The Vines. Alien band, or or the from New Zealand? I'm not sure. Yeah, I really like them. Um, I always listen to a lot of Paul Westerberg. I've been listening to um Rod Stewart's 70s albums, yeah, The Faces. I've been listening to this week, and just before I went out this morning, I, I put on reproduction by the Human League, you know and I've I've just bought these new Wharfdale speakers in in, me, in me listening room and got some spectacular lights you know so as soon as the sun down it's coming down light a few candles get the lights on and honest to God it's louder than a gig <laughs> With the volume of my listen because I'm in a, a detached house thank you very much and uh I've, there's no one else living here but me you know Fantastic. So and the neighbors are far far away, so I can crank it up. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, so that's what I've been listening to today. Okay, well, let me ask you a
0: question again in a slightly different way. What what songwriters impacted you the most as a songwriter?
1: Just one sec while I plug this in, it's gonna die. I'm on No worries.
0: My computer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that
1: not at all these macs are great they get old and then you just burn through the power yeah, yeah. right sorry what were you saying
0: um- so the same question again, but slightly different. What What songwriters impacted you the most as a songwriter? Who made you want to write songs? What What, what who are those writers?
2: Oh God, everyone.
1: Yeah, I don't differentiate, and I'm, I've. I think I've got like broader taste than, in fact, I know I have. Yeah, broader taste than pretty much anybody I know. You know.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The only thing I don't care for is rap and hip-hop okay? because it's it's rhythmic but it's not very musical yeah you know it's i i just think it's they wear me out those records you know okay because it's it's not there's no melody there's no it's people talking or shouting or whispering but apart from that everything's fair game i'm a songwriter so i you know I, i i can Appreciate anything that I think is a great tune to me personally, and I'm I'm not a snob, you know. I don't just because it's by Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift or something like that doesn't mean it's not valid. Right, because I think that the hardest thing to do is is not to write a ten verse epic that's incredibly profound. I think the hardest thing to do is 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 write a three minute yeah. pop song that yeah. just hits you from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, there was driving back from town this morning, uh, I had to go and see me solicitor to do a will. <laughs> anyway, um and um She Loves You came on the radio and it was just like my God every second of that song is is not wasted it's like the, dim, 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 she loves you yeah yeah i mean when they're not singing the guitar goes dim, 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 dim. and when they go she loves you and you know that can't be bad bring 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 yeah, yeah. in every second of that song yeah. and i don't know how long it is but i'm guessing it's probably like 204 or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it is yeah <laughs> And that, that to me, is what it's all about. Yeah. And and to to be able to pack all that information into... And it all be great and to make sense. And there's no bit in it where you go, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on, you know. But I I like songs like that as well. But I, I, I do think that that's always the ultimate goal. You know, when you think that, like, those albums that came out in the 60s by... <clears throat> the likes of the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and the Kinks and, you know, the Hollies and all those guys, you know, they had like 12, 14 songs on, on a on a piece of vinyl. Yeah. And when they all came out on CD, you realised that the running time was like 32 minutes, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an art form, that is. It's a total art form, something which I've, I agree with you. I've been a huge Beatles fan, so I've always been aware of trying to write ideas into short form. And it's a definite skill set, isn't it, to try and be, use hooks and, and write quickly or write within a short amount of time. It's a different skill set.
1: And get the information across.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, you know, something like Jet, you know, every second of that is catchy. It's crazy. Do, 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 do. There's your intro. Do, 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 do. Straight in on it opens with the chorus. Jet, I can hardly remember the... Uh, say, Mama, I want to always... Do-do, do-do, do It's just like... So true. Even a second where you can kind of look away, you know. And that is... That's what I, I aspire to. I mean, you know, McCartney for me is, is it. Uh, ah, yeah. Mater. It's true. It just carries on, doesn't it? <laughs> ah, yeah, uh, the- mate, want you to always love me. Such
0: no. a tune. It's for such a tune. He's just like. I mean, he is like. You said he is. He is where it's at. I mean, I'm probably a bit more Lennon than Macca, just because uh, I find. Just because that's the way it is, but McCartney is like a machine of melody. It just, it's just—it's unbelievable how he kind of
1: still doing. Well, I and mean, you, you know, I mean, there's so many we could go on about, but you know, like something like. Uh, wouldn't it be nice by the Beach Boys, you know. I mean, that's even got time to slow down in the middle. And it's like two minutes and 28 seconds, if that. Yeah, I don't sit there with a the stopwatch, but, uh, yeah, you know, that is it. But then again, you know, I'm a big Floyd fan, you know. I, I love bloody... Twenty-six minutes of echoes. You know, it's just a different thing.
0: Well, it's absolutely. or oh, Cortez. You know, like Cortez. Kind of just like you know, that long form of that is great, and it's like, well, like the
1: vocal doesn't come in for three minutes. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, when he, when he used to turn those records into reprise records, what the, what they must have said, because the funny thing with Neil is that it's like. He he joined Crosby, Stills and Nash. He'd already had a number one album, and then he he did, um, after the Gold Rush and Harvest, which was his big album. Yeah. And I listened to Harvest recently because it was the fiftieth, mm-hmm. and It's fiftieth, it? Yeah, anniversary. And I went to see that film he made about it, the documentary. And it is, I mean, it was never my, particularly my favourite Neil Young album, but you can see why people love it. He's he's singing in tune for a kickoff. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And it's pretty mellow. It maintains, you know, it maintains the the mood. It digresses a little at times. Basically, he doesn't scare floating voters off. Yeah. Um, and And then he was, you know, that record sold like two million copies in America and then he he just started doing what the hell he wanted and it must have confounded, you know. Yeah. yeah. Imagine them, hey man, can you not write another fucking heart of gold? You know. Yeah, yeah. he's like, well, I've already done that. I mean, I had that a lot with birds, fly, whisper, to a scream. Right. Certainly in America, people wanted me to write another one. And I'm like, well, there's two things wrong with that. Firstly, I've already done it. Secondly, if I do it, it will remind people of Birds Fly, Whisper 2, Scream, but it won't be as good. Right. So what's the point? Yeah, yeah. And then I'll get criticised for just churning out the same shit, you know. Whereas if I do something different, at least they can have a go at me for it not being very good, but they can't have a go at me for repeating myself, you know. was I what's... mean, he never, never wrote another song that sounded remotely like Walk on the Wild Side, mm-hmm. because he'd done it, you know. But one of those things where, like, when you know, I was,
0: I was at art college as a teenager, and you'd get turned on to the Velvet Underground by someone and go and dig deep into it, and there'd be a whole load of stuff to get into. And it's the same with your stuff because I've been listening to it the last two or three weeks. You can go and you just can lose yourself for like weeks in your back catalogue, in which you keep adding to. And so, you know, it's great that you keep doing different things I think it's, it's, it's true artistry. So, thank you for that.
1: Thanks for your kind words. Appreciate you, it.
0: A couple more questions, especially before we, the hour's up, my friend. Um, one more question from a fan. Cobber is his name, I believe. If love is a wonderful
1: colour, what colour is it? Well, once again, that was... Um, I mean, it doesn't mean anything, love is a wonderful colour. It's You know, that, that was one of the things that certainly around the the New wave era, late 70s, early 80s, where you couldn't, you couldn't be too specific. It had to be kind of dressed in metaphor and mystique. You know, see Teardrop Explodes, Echo and the Bunny Men, you know, The Cure. You know, we couldn't go, I love you so much. You know, I mean, I know for a fact that the Bunny Men had a rule whereby. They couldn't, Will Sargent said, I'm not playing on anything that's got love in the title. Wow, okay. You know, so uh, Ian McCulloch had to, you know, go in pretending that the back of love was called Taking Advantage. And that went right up to when he had to fill out the form for the publishing or write on the tape box what it was. Taking Advantage because, and then when it was called The Back of Love, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got love in a title. Oh. God, you know, because that's how it was. I wasn't scared of using the word love. In fact, I used it three times on the first album. Um, And Love is a Wonderful Colour doesn't actually mean anything. I think um, uh, Mick Head, who who was in The Pale Fountains and Shaq, the great Mick Head, he had a song called Love. I saw a review and it said a song called Love is Such a Beautiful Place. And I never caught up with the song, but I just thought, that's such a great title. I'm yeah. going to nick that yeah. and put my own spin on it. So Love is a Wonderful Colour, and, and when people are quoting it back at me, they always get the title wrong. It, it gets called Love is Full of Wonderful Colours. Or, you know, they always get it slightly wrong. Um, I just call it Love is a WC. Right, there we go. <laughs> I, but, uh, I, a... I, don't, I don't have an answer to that question it's 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 dressed in metaphor yeah, and good. it was supposed to sound profound and it does and i was tw- and i was 22.
0: <laughs> it does sound profound and it, it's great it, it, that was actually nigel Richardson who asked that question just to be clear um so one last yeah. question thank you very much for your time i've really enjoyed talking to you and i can't wait to hear um each okay so I ask each person this as a uh, final question so if you could have lived with if you could have written someone else's song if that had been in your head if the music knocked on your door with it what song would you have loved to have written or lived with inside your head
1: so which song would I have liked to have written
0: yeah someone else's song
1: yeah well obviously I could come up with a load but I'd whittle it down to to two for now and it'd be either uh, you've lost that loving feeling by the Righteous Brothers or uh, River Deep Mountain High by Ike and Tina. Brilliant, Brilliant answer. So do I have to pick one Okay it'll be God Only Knows by the Beach Boys
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah that's uh, that's something else uh, Ian thank
1: you so that's much line. Talk about putting somebody on the back foot you know I may not always love you. I know that's
0: like I've thought about that way too much, <laughs> but it's um, it's
1: quite... Tell me I still love that lyric. you know, I may not always love you. What a what an incredible way Start to open it. Yeah, one of the greatest love songs of all time.
0: Yeah, I agree, it's amazing. So, um, thank you for your time, mate. Have a great day, and
1: you have a great weekend.
0: Thanks, Ian. Take care.